Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome those of you who are with us. We see that we have more people today. I want to welcome our online audience. We're so glad that you're able to tune in with us. I don't know about you, but I, I want to ask this question. Have you ever wanted to be like somebody else? How, how many people have ever wanted to be like somebody else? Oh, you guys are all securing yourself. That's fantastic. I, I don't know about you, but, but there have been moments in my life where I've watched a movie or read a book or I've been engaged in conversation or I've heard a speaker speak and I'm like, man, I want to be like that person. When, when I was a kid, I used to watch uh, superhero cartoons. It's, maybe that's where my, my son Brock got it. And, and, and when I finished watching the superhero cartoon, I, I want to be like Superman or Batman. And, and so I, got to, I had to figure out how I was going to do this. And so I asked my mom to help me. And she would pull out one of the towels from our closet. She'd wrap it around my neck and, and use usually a, a bobby pin or, or a safety pin. Sorry, a safety pin. Those of you who know who what a bobby pin is, that's incredible. But, those, but she would tie she would it around my neck and I would I would bounce all over the house with the the towel on and just trying to trying to be that superhero and I would jump off of chairs and I I'd roll around and I'd arrest my mom and I do all kinds of things trying to pretend to be like that superhero that I want so badly to be but I no matter how much energy I put in no matter what I put on whether it was a a mask or a cape I always found myself falling short of the person that I want to be and, and I would begin to explain to myself that, that there were circumstances that were just beyond my control, that the individual that I wanted to be like had a certain advantage that I didn't have, that they came from another planet, or maybe they had certain contexts uh, of their situation that, that put them at an unfair advantage over me. And I always realized that as much as I want to be like some of these incredible people, that it most likely would never happen because they had an unfair advantage. There's a, a, a person in the Bible that has always inspired me, and his name is Elijah. And, and he did some incredible things for God. He, he prayed that it wouldn't rain for a season, and it didn't rain. He prayed that the rain would come, and, and the, the rain did come. He confronted a, a wicked king, probably Israel's most wicked king, King Ahab. He, he confronted the prophets of Baal, which we'll talk about in just a few moments. And, and I look at his life and I think, man, that guy is somebody I would like to be like. But, but surely he has an advantage over me. I mean, he's a prophet of old and, and, and God used him miraculously to do all kinds of things. And surely he's got some kind of advantage on my life. But James chapter 5 verse 7 says, Elijah was just as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Friends, this great man of God, who, who God used in the supernatural, the Bible tells us, according to James, that he was a human being like us. He didn't come from some other planet. He didn't have a context that was, was much different than ours. He was just like ours. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 17, Verse 1, it says that Elijah came from Tishbe. And if you do a little bit of study on the, the place Tishbe, it's, it's an unknown place. It's a, a place of obscurity. And, and we're, what we're told is that Elijah comes from obscurity. And then, and then just 24 verses later, same chapter, the Bible calls Elijah a man of God. He moves from obscurity to a place of being a man of God. The question is, how does somebody 
Move from a place of obscurity where you feel like an average Joe, where you feel like a, a nobody, you, you feel like you're lost in the shadows. How do you move from that place of obscurity to a place where you can be a man of God or a woman of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want you to turn in your Bibles or you can look up at the screen or if you're watching online, just look at the screen. We're going to, talk, we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. And it says this. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the King, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kiriath Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan River, and he stayed there. So we begin the story of Elijah. We find that he has just proclaimed a drought in the land. He's able to do that because he's, he's prayed for it. He's been spending some time saying, God, we really need to just pull back on the water because we need to confront the evil in the land. Then, then not only does he pray for the, the drought to come, but then he confronts Ahab. And then, and then God calls him away. And it's the, most, it's the most obscure, strange series of events because you, you would think that this great man of God who's been so powerful in his prayer life to, to stop heaven's reigns, that this man would have the ability to, to do much, much more and that God would keep him in the land so that he could do great things for him. But what we find is that God actually calls him away. So why? Why does God call him away? Well, the answer to that question is really found in the place that Elijah's called to, Kareth in the ravine. The word kareth means to cut away or cut off or to cut down. It is the place of cutting. And what you need to understand is that if Elijah is to be used by God, he will need to go to the place of cutting. And friends, I want to suggest this to you today. If you are going to truly be used by God, if you're going to move from the place of obscurity to a place where you become a man of God or a woman of God, you've got to go to the place of of cutting. So what is it that takes place in the place of cutting in Kareth? The very first thing I see in this passage is that there's a cutting away, a cut away of conformity, a cutting away of conformity. God says to Elijah, I want you to leave your place in Israel. Israel has become an incredibly wicked place. King Ahab has mar married a woman by the name of Jezebel who has brought her religion of Baal with her to Israel. And she has caused the Israelites to be attracted to this, this form of religion, this, this pagan religion that, that places the God of Baal, who is a God of rain and a God of fertility, place him at the center of their community. They would worship this God believing that he would allow them to have fruit from the womb and fruit from the land and that this God would send rain and this religion had all kinds of pagan practices and some of the sacrificial elements were incredibly, incredibly brutal. Evil through the land. Evil through Israel. And what does God say? God says to Elijah, I want you 
to leave this place. I want you to leave the place of wickedness. I want you to leave the place of evil. And this word leave means to be separated. It's a cutting away from the wicked culture. It's a cutting away from conformity to one's surroundings. God is saying to Elijah, I don't want you to stay in the place where you have the chance to be conformed, but I want to cut you away from everything that would cause you to conform to culture, to the wickedness of the land. I want you to be different. I want you to be separate. I want you to stand apart from the culture that you come from. I want to cut you away from conformity. Interesting. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may de declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Friends, as Christians, God has called you to be different. God has called you to be a different type of people, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's called you to be separate from the culture. The, the, the great tension is to be in the culture, to be the salt of the, the earth, to be the light in the darkness, to be in the midst of people, but to be cut away from conforming to the cultural values of our land. God will never use us uniquely if we desire to be like those that we are called to reach. It's called us to be separate, to cut away from conformity. And in order for Elijah to confront the Baal worshipers, he must come out of the place of conformity. I want to read you a quote by a man by the name of Jim Book. He says this, my fear today is that many churches are dying because the average person in the pews have no idea what it means to be set apart from the defilements of the world. The church, is many, the church in many areas is so worldly-minded, it's difficult to see any real separation from the world. We dress as provocatively as the world, our entertainment is as debauched as the world, and as we are preoccupied with the same secular trinkets as is the world. He, he's confronting us. He, he's challenging the church that we would not be like Elijah had been in the midst of the culture and, and the, the potential of allowing the culture to shape us. But there would be a cutting away of that conformity, a separation, a leaving of the values of this culture, friends. The church would be different. That those who call themselves to be Christians would be separated from the values of this world because we have a set of values that represent the kingdom. Anyone who wants to be used by God must have the courage to walk differently, to have conformity cut from our lives. I read a story this week of a young man who was taking his police officer's exam. It was the very first exam in the academy. And, and, and he is given this, this question that just perplexed him. And the question goes like this. You are patrolling on the outskirts of the city. And there is an, an explosion because of a gas line. As you arrive on the scene, you see that the explosion has caused a van to, to be impacted by the explosion and it has flipped over. And you make your way down to the, the van and you see in the van a man and a woman in the front seat. There's a smell of alcohol and you recognize the woman in the passenger seat as the police chief's wife. And she's with another man. The police chief is out of town. 
Just as you're trying to process that, there's a man who, who's across the street and he starts yelling that the explosion has caused his nine-month pregnant wife to, to go into labor and he's needing help. As that's taking place, you, you see an individual who gets off his motorcycle and comes over and offers to help. As you look, as the police officer looks into the, the face of this individual, he realizes that it's a most wanted criminal. Just to make things really complicated, as he's trying to process all these situations, just nearby is a body of water, and the explosion has caused a man to be, to be propelled into the water who doesn't know how to swim. And he is screaming for somebody to help him out. And the question on the test says, with this kind of scenario, what would you do? I don't know what your response would be. The police officer sat there for a few moments and then began to jot down his answer. And this is what he wrote. He said, if this was the situation I was faced, I would take off my uniform and put on common clothes and try to fit in with the crowd. I mean, that's the way it feels sometimes in society is that, that we, we are so bombarded by so many things that we just don't know what to do. We don't really know how to respond to the world that we live in and all the complications. So why not just try to fit in? But here's the problem. The moment that we allow the world to conform us, the moment that we allow the the society that we're part of to shape who we are, when we put on common clothes, we're not able to help those that are in need. We're not able to help those in need. Elijah could only serve Israel by being a countercultural individual. He had to be somebody who was not conformed to everybody else. He had to be somebody who was not part of a society that, that, that embraced Baal worship. He had to be separated, cut off from conformity, and to leave that place. Friends, let me tell you this. It's not about leaving the physical places that we have in society, but it's leaving the cultural values and the things that this world is trying to impose on us. The question is this, do you look more like the people you're trying to reach or do, are they starting to look more like you? Do you go into places like places in our world that may not be Christian, and are, are you bringing the presence of Jesus with you to those places to bring transformation, or are you stepping into places and allowing the values to conform who you are? God needs to cut away conformity from Elijah's life, and so he says, leave this place. The second thing that we need to cut away if we are to, to be used by God is we need to cut off activity need to cut off activity. The Bible says Elijah's told to hide himself in Kareth, to hide himself in Kareth. Two, two reasons. Number one, there's a protective element. God's trying to preserve Ahab. He knows that, or, or Elijah, he knows Ahab's going to go after Elijah, and so he's trying to protect him, so he hides him. But the second thing, the second reason why he's asked him to hide himself is because he knows that if Elijah is truly to be used by God, that he needs to be pulled away into a place where there's no activity so that God can do something in his life. He's called to a place of solitude where the only person, the only acti- he, he, he's with, the only activity that he has is to talk to God, to talk to God. This word hide actually means to be absent from. I want to suggest this this morning. To be used by God Inactivity must preclude activity. Let me say it one more time. 
To be used by God, inactivity must preclude activity. You see, too often the greatest obstacles to doing something great for God is the busyness of doing a lot of good and ordinary things. We become so busy doing things for God that we are not able to get pulled aside by God and and into a place where he's able to speak into our, our life and empower our life and propel us from the quiet, inactive, solitude place with him. Because we're so busy doing the ordinary. There were five university students who had been visiting England and they had heard about the great preacher Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon had the most well-known church in England and he would see every Sunday up to 10,000 people in attendance. God was using Charles Spurgeon to bring transformation to the community, not just spiritual transformation, but it was causing transformation in the social elements also. So these five students were super eager to see what it was about this great preacher who was able to do such great things. And so they arrived at the church and they were greeted by a man. And the man brought them in and says, we want to welcome you to, to our, our church where we'll start in, in just a little, little bit of time. But I'd like to give you a tour of the, of the church if that's okay. And the, the, the five young men thought that would be fantastic. And so this man began to walk with them and he said, hey, I really want to show you where the heater room is. The five men thought this was incredibly weird, especially since it was July and it was very hot. They had no desire to go to a place where the heat was. In fact, they couldn't even understand why the heating room would be a prominent place in the middle of July. But this man was so sweet that they thought, let's just follow him. And so this man walked them up the stairs of the church and opened a door. And as they looked into this room, there were 700 people on their knees before the service ever started, before they started ushering, before they started doing kids ministry, before they started doing any of the programs of the church, there were 700 people who had stopped, had got inactive, had pulled away from the the activities that they would later pursue, and they got alone with God. And he said to these men, this is where the power comes for for what we're seeing God do here in this church. And then he revealed his name to them. He says, my name is Charles Spurgeon. You see, the great power of Charles Spurgeon wasn't that he was a brilliant preacher. It wasn't that they had great programs or a nice church building. It was a group of people who understood that if God's going to do anything, there has to be a cutting away of activity. There has to be a pulling away where we get alone with God and we get inactive, where we pull aside and let God fill our lives. John Hyde as some know by the name of Praying Hyde, in 1908 was, was at a convention in, in India. And he stood up at this convention and he made this bold declaration. He said, I, I have chosen that I am going to pray for one convert for every day of the year. This astounded the crowd. 365 converts. John, John was going to see 365 people saved. It, it was a noble declaration, but it was quite impossible. The next year, convention gathered again and John Hyde stood up and he said, I've been praying every day for a year for converts, but one every day. And he said, I am happy to report that 400 people have come to know Jesus Christ. And then he stood there and he said, but I I want to push myself further. And, And he said, I want to see that number double this year. 800 people. That was his goal. He wanted to see something truly only God could do. And the story goes that that year, 
John, rather than being busy coming up with programs and coming up with all kinds of, of things to do and, and being super busy, he would take time alone with God. He would become inactive. He would cut away. He would hide himself in the place where God was. And, and the moments where, where he wasn't seeing a convert on a day, when he wasn't seeing two converts on a day, he would pull himself away from sleep. He would cut away even eating. He would cut away all the activities that the normal person would do. He would become inactive by being hidden alone with God. And he would pray and he'd pray and he would pray and he would pray until he felt there was a victory and a breakthrough and then he would see people come to Christ. And by the end of that year, he saw his numbers reached. Friends, I, I want to suggest to you this. That praying to see God do great things, to seeing breakthrough, to seeing the supernatural, to being used by God, doesn't come by us being all busy. It doesn't come by us forming the right committees and having the right plans. But it starts when we cut away the activity. Because for some of us, we are so busy that God can't actually empower and do things through our lives. We need to hide ourselves in places. The prayer that we offer for the salvation of our family, the prayer that we offer for the salvation of our friends, the prayers that we offer for the breakthrough in our workplace, the prayers that we, that we offer cannot just be these little add-on things to our overall prayer time, but we need men and women of God who will cut away the activity, pull away, get into the quiet place, hide themselves, and allow that inactivity to be a time with God where we do the real work where we get alone and see God do great things. Listen, I'm so convicted this week by, by what I'm preaching. I'm so overwhelmed by this point that if I'm going to see God do the things that are in my heart, the things that I dream from to do, it has little to do with my giftings. It has little to do with my creativity. It has little to do with the team or the resources I have. It has everything to do with me cutting away the activities that I have busying my life and pulling myself aside and hiding with God so that he can do the real work. We need to cut aside the activities. You see, friends, the enemy is not worried about our activity for God. The enemy is worried about our inactivity with God. Let me say that one more time. The enemy is not worried about your busy activity for God. He's worried about your inactivity with God. Because our time with God has to always precede what we do. Our inactivity has to preclude our activity. When we are so busy that we cannot become isolated with God, we shouldn't expect to be used by, by God in the fullness of what he would like to do. God says to Elijah, you can do some good things for me, but you'll never be fully used. You'll never be as effective as you could be unless you cut away the activity and hide yourself so that it's just you and me. Let inactivity preclude activity. The last thing that needs to be cut away is the cutting down of self. The cutting down of self. Elijah has been told to go to a brook where ravens will feed him. Absolutely incredible. I mean, the brook is just a little offshoot of the Jordan River. It's, it's probably a place where miracles in the past have taken place, but, but we, we're going to realize as we go through this series that, that the brook is eventually going to dry out. I mean, it's not, it's not this great promise of, hey, you're going to go to this natural spring that will always be full of water in this drought season. No, he's telling him to go to a place that barely has enough water to sustain him for the, the years that he will be in seclusion. 
And then he says that the ravens will, will bring him food. And, and what that means is that, that there's a limitation on food. There's no fridge in this cave. There, there's, no, there's no Walmart nearby or superstore. His complete dependence is upon God. Elijah is likely a shepherd. And he, he is used to looking after his sheep and, and going to the lush places and the places where, where things where there's food to provide, be provided for the sheep and for himself. He's used to taking care of his own needs. And, and, and now God is telling him that he wants him to not depend on his abilities, but to depend upon God. You see, when we rely on self rather than God, we will always notice a lack of what, we, what is needed to be properly used by him. I envision that Elijah is walking down to this, this place by the brook, and, and, and as he's left his place uh, within Israel, he, he's making his journey, and, and he knows God wants to seclude him and wants to hide him, and, and he sees, oh, that's a green place. That would be fantastic. Look at the trees there. That will take care of me for the long term. God's like, no, that's not where you need to go. Uh, and he keeps walking a little bit further, and he sees another lush place, and, the, and there, there are some animals in the, in the wilderness, and he goes, like, you know, those animals, I, I could kill them and, and have them for dinner, and the, the fruit of the land could, could take care of me. God goes, no, I, I don't want that. I don't want you to go there. And then he makes his way into this deep ravine with cliffs on either side, place of isolation, aridness. I mean, there's just nothing. And I, I can imagine Elijah's thinking, God, God, this is a terrible place. This is not the place that, that I can be taken care of. And God goes, that's exactly it. I, I don't want you to go wherever you want to go. Your opinion means very little to me. In fact, the place is so important because in, in the scripture it says, I have directed the ravens to supply you food there. You, you want to see the supernatural abundance? Go to the there. Go to the place that God has told you that you'll be fed. Don't you assume and let self rise up. Don't you assume the things that will bring about the greatest abundance in your life. You will only see the supernatural workings of God, the great provisions, when you go to the place there that he's asked you to go. Because that's the place where the ravens will feed you. That's the place. God wants to bring us to a place where we stop depending on ourselves so that he can do through us what only he can do. J. Wilbur Chapman was in London and, and he had an opportunity to meet the, the great General Booth who, who had started the Salvation Army and had done so significant things for God. And as, as they're talking, he, he, he hears the stories of how God had used the Salvation Army and how God had used General Booth's life and, and, and Chapman finally just asks Booth, what, what was it that has made you so successful? And this is what Booth said. I'll tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities, but from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it's because God has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. And this is what Chapman concluded. The greatness of a man's power, or the greatness of a woman's power, is the measure of their surrender. 
It's the cutting away of self. It's saying, God, you take self and you show up in my life. You provide the water when there's no brook. You provide the food from the ravens. You take me to the places you want me to go and you show me what you can do. I cut myself away so that you can be glorified in my life. Banning Liebescher, a pastor in, in the States, tells this great story in a book uh, called Jesus Culture. And he, he talks about a friend of his named Chad, and Chad had come to a place in his life where, where he wanted to see God do some greater things. He truly wanted to be used. And so he had to give up self. He had to allow self to be cut away and learn to be completely dependent upon God. But if he was going to do that, that meant that he had to also cut away self when it came to reputation. And so... Chad learned that he would step out whatever God told him whenever there was a there place, a, a place where the raven could show up, that he would just do what God said, even if there was a chance of a, a risk of his own reputation. So one night he's coming back from, his, from a church service and he decides to stop into a grocery store. He's going to get some donuts. Brilliant man. And, and so he arrives there and, and as, he's, as he's getting his food, he sees a lady at the checkout and she's got two hearing aids. And he, he wants to be used by God, and, and, and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't know whether or not God really wants to heal, but he just feels like he should, so he takes a step out. He cuts self aside, his reputation, his, his, own, his, his own embarrassment that, that could be there. He cuts self aside, and he steps in. And he says, hey, ma'am, do you mind if I, I pray for you? I see you have two, two hearing aids, and, and, and she's like, okay. And so he prays for her and says, hey, do you mind just taking them out? I, I, want, I just want to see if God did anything and so she takes the two ear the two hearing aids out and and he says can you hear me and she said yeah yes i can hear you Th then chad steps back a little bit further and he said my name is chad and she said your name is chad and then he stood stood back an incredible distance and he said my favorite food is pizza and and she said your favorite food is pizza and she became overwhelmed because in that moment of him stepping out and going to the place of there and, and forgetting about self, he saw her heels. So overwhelmed that he couldn't, he couldn't resist. So he said to the cashier, he's like, man, God is here. Can I, can I make an announcement and invite anybody else for healing? And the cashier is like, ah, sure. So he grabs the microphone behind the counter and he said, hey, I just want to, want to invite anybody who needs healing to come here. God's doing something great. I mean, he's putting himself on the line. God's doing something great. In fact, I, have, I believe there's somebody here who's got a hip issue, and I believe there's somebody in the store who's got carpal tunnel. If you just want to join it by this cash register number so-and-so, that would be great. A few moments later, there's a little bit of a crowd. And, and all of a sudden, this, this motorized cart comes to where Chad is, and and as he's standing there, this lady goes, I, I, I have a real bad hip issue. And she, she starts to explain it. And he prays for her. He says, why don't we now check to see if you're healed? And he says, Can, grab my hand. And, and he gets her out of the cart. And, and he says, start to, to move around. And so this, this lady starts to move around. And she's overwhelmed. She says, the pain is completely gone. So I've been healed. The, plane's, the pain's completely gone. Now at the back of the crowd, there, there's a person who just shows their hands and comes forward and said, I, I'm the one with carpal tunnel. This was a piano teacher who was unable to make a living recently because of the pain that he was experiencing in his hands. And so Chad stepped out again and saw, uh, prayed that God would heal this, this man. And all of a sudden, the man began to feel heat 
from the Holy Spirit go through his arms, and, and he immediately knew that he was healed. The pain left, and he began to give God the glory. And in that moment, it wasn't just the three miracles. Chad invited anybody who was in the place who now believed that God was real, who had never given their lives to Christ, to give their lives to him right there. And in the middle of a grocery store, people accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Why? Because a man allowed himself to be cut away. He allowed self to be cut away. Didn't say, well, I might be embarrassed. People might make fun of me. I, I, I'm, I'm used to knowing things. I need to know all the facts before I step out. No, he said, I don't care about me. I simply want to depend on God. I want to live in a place where I know where he's sending me and trust him completely. And friends, I want to say that so many times we live in a place where we trust self, but, but we depend on God very little. We say we'd like to depend on God, but we put self to the forefront too many times. If Elijah was going to be used by God, there had to be a cutting aside of self. Many of you will remember that I've told this, this story about my first year of playing soccer at the age of 35, men's league, and, and we were on the field and, and hadn't played a full game of soccer for quite some time. I got a ball that was passed to me, a through ball, and I found myself at the top of the, the field as the striker, and I was able to break past the rest of the team. And here I was, and I had this great opportunity before me. It was just going to be me and the goalkeeper. And I have to tell you, there was this great desire in my life to, to, to score the goal so that people would, would recognize the, my abilities. And I'm running down the field, I'm running so fast, and then all of a sudden something happened. My legs gave out. Here I was on this incredible breakaway with, a, with great desire to score a goal, with, with an incredible opportunity, but my legs gave out and I dropped to the field and somebody came, took the ball and ran down the other way. What was the issue? The issue wasn't about opportunity. The issue wasn't about desire to do something great. The issue had to do with preparation. I wasn't conditioned for that game. If we're going to be used by God, if we're going to do great things for God, it doesn't matter about the opportunities that come our way. It doesn't matter about the strong desire in our heart. God has to prepare us for the game. He has to prepare us. He has to take us to the place of Kareth where there's a cutting away, a cutting away of conformity, a cutting away of activity, and a cutting away of self. God, we thank you so much that we have the ability to, to, to move from a place of obscurity to a place where you can use us powerfully. I pray today that you would move in our lives in such a powerful way that, God, we would go to the place of Kareth where you can cut away the conformity and we would be separate. We'd leave the place where culture shapes us and we would allow you to shape us. I pray that you would cut away activity, that we would stop being so busy. We'd even look at our schedules and determine what we need to remove from our lives, and we would start to get inactive, alone, hiding ourselves with you so we can see the greatest breakthroughs that, Jesus, you want to do. And Lord, I pray that we would allow you to cut away self, where we would not trust on what we think is the best place to go. We would not depend on our own skills and our own provisions, but we would lean into you and we would allow self to be in the back burner and allow you to be the front burner, that you would be the one that we would trust and lean into to provide the food, to provide the water, to provide everything we need. God, 
cut us away so that we are prepared for the things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.